welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Avnio for Julio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Now, time for the podcast. All right, we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. America's most bizarre and brutal crimes. I don't know, maybe back in the 70s. Who will survive and what will be left of them? These were all questions and statements posed on the original poster. I mean, that could be out of a Saul poster. It's true. Hello, my name is Alex. And that sultry Peruvian voice you are hearing on the other side of the table is my co-host, Julio. We are the Contrarians, and welcome back to where we're right and you're wrong. Uh, as we continue on the autumn of the remake, or and autumn of remakes. Autumn of remakes, and as we begin, year six. That's right. This is fresh into year six. <laughs> Coming off the heels of our, uh, this will be released sequentially after the... The Embrys? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. So... If this is your first time listening to the Contrarians, welcome. If you're a long-time listener, welcome to year six. Uh, what we like to do here on the Contrarians is uh, rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine, as we like to say. Pick a movie that's fresh, make a case for why it could be rotten, find a nasty green splotch, and make a case for why it should be a shiny red tomato. Um, basically, just to prove that you can be snarky or over the moon about every any damn thing that you choose to be. Uh, and we are in the middle, coming on the tail end, I should say, not the middle. We're coming around on the autumn of uh, autumn of remakes as we begin part one of our two-part journey into one of the most famed horror franchises of all time. Do you consider yourself a Texan, Alex? I do, absolutely. I don't think I do, but I've lived here in Texas for over 10 years now, so I think I, I, I have at least a little bit of say as far as... What is Texan? What isn't Texan? How this movie depicts Texas? Oh, well, it's even more than that because they shot this in Travis County. So uh, <laughs> this is home for us. <laughs> this is home. This is exactly what Austin was in 1974. <laughs> if you were about to, this is a fresh movie, so we're about to just take it down a peg. But if you want to know how we really feel, just stick around for the second half of the show, Real Talk, where we tell you how we really feel. If you've Listen to the show for a while. You probably know how Alex feels, at least. Yes. Probably but you never since, know. Since day one. Uh, yeah, this is at 88%. So this is kind of right at the cutoff. We typically try to do high 80s up to uh, 100s. And then for rotten, we usually stick to, what do we say? We usually go about 30 and below. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every now and then, you know, we'll do something that's high 30s. Yeah, for our last two episodes for The Untouchables and for... Um, uh, the Upside. The Upside. We had to kind of deviate from our usual course. But yeah, going back in time quite a bit. We usually have a pretty good wheelhouse of between 1980 up until present, as those are the most easily accessible movies, both for viewing purposes and also for literature purposes and reviews and whatnot. 
But we are dipping our toe into the 70s pool here, uh, going back to the times of Saturday Night Fever. And, I mean... Taxi Driver. Taxi Driver. Very similar movies overall. With the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, directed by famed horror director Toby Hooper, released on October 1st of the year 1974. It is 88% of Rotten Tomatoes, which means that... I'm not so sure about at the time it was released, but certainly its legacy is is a fresh one. There were no Rotten Tomatoes back in the <laughs> 70s. I guess I'm sure that as soon as Rotten Tomatoes opened for business, a whole bunch of critics that had been just saving their their wisdom about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, they just flooded the website. I got three fresh quotes. Uh, we can start with Sean Axemaker from seanaxe.com. He says... Along with Night of the Living Dead and The Last House on the Left, it ushered in the modern age of horror in the 1970s. It is one of the great transgressive American horrors and is still the film upon which Hooper's reputation is built. I saw you shake your head a little bit. Uh, (laughs) We've just started Contrarian's Corner. Let's not get too deep into it here. Um Matt Brunson from Creative Loafing says, A genuine classic of the genre, a punishing, unrelenting nightmare that never allows viewers even a moment of sanity or security. Moment of sanity, that's for sure. (laughs) Finally, Noel Murray from The Dissolve. He says, As disgusting, harrowing, and ugly as the 1974 horror classic The Texas Chainsaw Massacre is, the film has moments of eerie beauty. Okay. <laughs> okay, Noel. Yeah. <laughs> a little concerned about that, buddy. N- know what you're into, my friend. Uh, I was trying to find any type of actual review from the time it was released. Ebert's review is still up. From back in the day? From 74. Yep. Where he gave it two stars. And he went on a four-star system, correct? Yeah. Okay. It's like right down the middle. He said half a rotten tomato for him. I know it was met in many circles with a gog. And uh, resentment, and not resentment, but um, resistance, and kind of shock and awe. And it was the the standard bearer for quite a while in terms of the horror genre and name dropping something. I know it was always the popular one amongst like politicians and senators and shit when they called for uh revitalization or revamping of the rating system it was always movies like that texas chainsaw massacre before they could blame video games that's right they could blame the texas chainsaw massacre well they tried to because there was the texas chainsaw massacre atari video game which was blamed for being you know influential and horrendously violent whereas if you play it today even back then i I have no idea what you're looking at it's rated B for blocky graphics. <laughs> exactly. Leatherface is like a black stick figure with the Leatherface mask, but it's on sideways. It, yeah. It's no go. That being said, if you have a copy of it you don't want, please mail it to me because <laughs> I need it for my collection. So let's get into the, for lack of a better term, meat and potatoes of this movie here. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre begins with narration from well-known actor, I already his name already escaped me. John La Roquette. Okay, who he of Night Court. He <laughs> he of Night Court. John La Roquette of Night Court Manor. You, that's who you think of uh, when you think creepy narration to open a disturbing horror movie. Let's get John La Roquette on the phone. Yeah, for real. Not really an imposing voice. Doesn't sound like he wants to be there. He's 
does not set the proper tone. You know, those episodes where you open with the Wikipedia summation, mm -hmm. you do a better job doing that <laughs> than what John LaRouquette does with this opening. Without the... Uh, we open in a backwoods Texas town. It's never really name dropped, is it? I mean, I don't think that they could go that far. They could probably... They didn't want to pin it on any city in Texas. <laughs> yeah. Texas was enough. Liability. You don't want to piss them off that much. Uh, we open up on a horrifying decomposing skeleton as we hear the local radio station, the report, uh, a series of grave robbings in this town. It happened out in Bastrop. It wasn't Travis County. Excuse me. It was Bastrop County. I think it was both. They did some in Bastrop and Travis County. Maybe back in the day, Travis County. It was just Pangea. Everything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Before the earth split asunder. <laughs> it's a group of kids we're dealing with here. A group of five white kids. Uh, three. I don't know about kids, man. Well, I think they're Young supposed adults. to be. We got the Grease Syndrome going on here. I'm trying to think if I can... All their names off the top of my head. Sally, Paul, Franklin... Jerry and Pam. Yes, except is it Paul? I thought it was uh, Kirk. It is Kirk. God, how did I get that? I don't know where I got Paul from. <laughs> because you were listening to Beatles. Okay. Regardless. <laughs> Paul, Ringo, George. <laughs> our two main characters, our protagonist is obviously Sally, played by Marilyn Burns. Okay, you know that, and I know that, because we watched the movie all the way to the end. When you're watching the movie, I mean, these are five interchangeable white young adults the only one that's kind of distinctive is the one that's in a wheelchair franklin yeah and introduced to us is the invalid brother franklin <laughs> yeah uh played by paul partain that's why I think oh paul. that's why you, yeah. you got real i'm surprised you didn't call her marilyn <laughs> my um, longtime close personal friend marilyn burns but yeah i mean when you watch the movie up until the point where there's only one of one of these young adults surviving mm -hmm. It could be anyone's. There's really no real moment. I mean, if anything, I would say Franklin is the protagonist at first when I was watching it for the first time ever. He's definitely he, the most vocal. Right. He gets he gets the most to say. He gets the most screen time. He's Nothing supposed else. to be sympathetic, I guess. Right. He has something going on, right? He's the guy that feels left out because, of course, nobody wants to push him around. <laughs> Everybody is constantly leaving to go have fun, and they forget that he can't just really get by on his own, at least not easily. But even then, I mean, to me, you've seen this movie like 400 times, and Correct. you were still having trouble remembering the names. So that says something about the characters and the characterization. The that... depth of characters here. Speaking of depth of character, one of our leads in the movie, who's doesn't even have a fucking name. It's just Hitchhiker. Edwin Neal's introduced to us as crazy uh, on the side of the road hitchhiker that up until like the fifth or sixth time I saw this, I never really caught on to that birthmark on the side of his face. Do you think it was just blood? I just thought it was like dirt or some shit. I didn't realize that was like a marking of his, but it stays, you know, consistent throughout the duration of the film. He looks like James Franco. I've been, <laughs> I've been told hitchhiking was way more viable and acceptable back in the day it it still just makes no sense to me here i mean i can buy that maybe back in the 70s you would make the mistake of picking up someone who looked like an okay person 
I cannot imagine anyone ever picking up this dude. You would dude. pick up Robin Wright to take her to San Francisco. Exactly. <laughs> I was trying to be <laughs> less direct about it. This guy's not Robin Wright. Well, I mean... He's not even James Franco. He kind of <laughs> looks like James Franco, but James Franco, if he was just Well, you still would pick Robin Wright up if she was all unkempt and had, you know... A satchel full of God knows what and a blade hanging out of her sock. Uh, Robin Wright from The Pledge, where she's like missing a tooth. Yes. and Yeah. I was still... Well, yeah, because... Well, first I would be like, hey, it's Robin Wright. I'll pick her up. But this guy's <laughs> no one. Edwin Neal. Not even Ed O'Neill. Just Edwin Neal. <laughs> Is he Ed O'Neill's great-grandfather? <laughs> it's the his, 1870s. His half-brother. <laughs> Uh, Kim Hinkle and Toby Hooper wrote this movie, and this scene is clear. They just wanted to flex their slaughterhouse knowledge muscle in that it's just dialogue between uh, Edwin Neal and Franklin about how livestock is slaughtered in a slaughterhouse nowadays. No one else is in on this conversation, nor are they enjoying it. <laughs> that includes the audience. <laughs> It's it's just padding. This movie, the first half of the movie is just padding until they get to the dude with the chainsaw. It's just, what are we doing here? I don't even know what the purpose of this strip is. They're kind of sightseeing, you know, but there's no... Here's the thing. I don't have an idea, a concrete idea of when the movie is going to end. What is the achievable goal? <laughs> it's just these guys driving and picking up a really weird guy and then sightseeing some more and then they start getting killed they move on pretty quickly from uh the hitchhiker i I keep wanting to say he has a name but i know he doesn't uh because i'm so used to just calling him the crazy brother who three generations later would be played by matthew mcconaughey so full circle (laughs) sort of (laughs) i mean matthew mcconaughey's career you could say it, it, it a went sense. a little bit, a little better than uh, in a certain Mr. Neal's. It went past Edwin Neal's. In another sense, it eclipsed him four <laughs> times over. Yeah, Edwin Neal's just going on about God knows what. Takes a picture of Franklin, puts it in a foil pouch with what appears to be gunpowder, lights it ablaze, takes his blade out, cuts Franklin, cuts his own hand. Gets kicked out of the van, marks the side of it with his own blood. It took that much for them to kick him out of the van. Yeah. He was being a No, weird... no, no. Yeah, I'm sorry. He cut himself and they were just like still cool with it. It wasn't <laughs> until he cut Franklin and potentially started a fire. It was the fire in the van that did it. No one cares about Franklin. Uh, kicks him out of the van. Franklin screaming. There's a lot of, uh, you know, Josh Gad would play Franklin. Oh, if, absolutely. If you made that movie today. Actually, or, well, I mean, they made it in 2003, but I think that was that just missed the, the cutoff for Gad. If we had a like name. 2007 level of Jonah Hill fat, I think like <laughs> Jonah Hill could play it. Too but much. God bless him as a fellow fat man. I, I applaud him for getting in shape. Now um, he would play the hitchhiker. <laughs> um, Franklin. Speaking of Franklin, because really he's, I guess, the one character. He, there's like a mean streak to this movie that, of course, becomes more obvious and more direct as it goes on. But even from the beginning, because I, I just now remember that the way the movie opens is Franklin, the dude in the that that's in a wheelchair, peeing in a can, in a coffee can, and then. Something happens, but he just tumbles out of the a wheelchair. A truck comes by and oh, causes yeah. a big gust of wind. Right. And then he just falls down. It's just, we're opening with a pratfall where the, the fat guy in the wheelchair falls off the wheelchair, rolls down the hill, <laughs> screams. So 
we just came out of watching a movie, two movies really, back to back, about uh, a guy in a wheelchair and his caretaker and how that changes their lives and joy and crowd pleasing. <laughs> and now it was a little bit of a shock to the system to open this movie with a guy in a wheelchair just not only being uh, kind of embarrassed emasculated emasculated but also just in such a mean way and i wasn't sure if it was that was the intent of the movie but then as it keeps going and and they just keep piling on uh disgrace after disgrace on franklin i mean the working title of this movie was franklin and the no good awful terrible day (laughs) but then they realized that the movie doesn't end when franklin dies so they had to change the name to something else yeah i can't imagine there were too many worse days in franklin's life the uh they stop at a gas station that also sells barbecue, and it's just established. We're just in this crazy-ass backwoods town, and these kids are just acting like not a care in the world that they're going to be just all right, and you know, there's nothing to be alarmed with. So are they, because I couldn't tell from Despite their Despite the fact that they're running out of gasoline and there's not another gas station in sight. Are they from Texas, and they're just going into deep Texas, or are they from somewhere else? I couldn't tell. I know they weren't from around them parts because the whole reason they were going there was to visit Sally and Franklin's grandpa's old place. Right. That they remembered from their childhood. Uh, But their haircuts, they looked more New York. They didn't look too Texas. Yeah. And and that would explain why they just, they make bad choice after bad choice. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's an attempt. It also explains why they don't have any guns. They're not from Texas. (laughs) Exactly. They're complaining about the heat. (laughs) That's right. Uh, yeah, and that van just looked like a miserable thing to travel in. So this is, uh, if you're not from Texas, in the 70s, I imagine, right? Before the internet, before before you could just Google Texas. and see After Woodstock your- 1, but before <laughs> Woodstock 94. Yes. Uh, this I watched this movie. It's, it's sorry, like- it's Woodstock. I don't know why I called it Woodstock 1. <laughs> it's, just, it's a new hope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you watch this movie, and you're like, why would anyone ever go to Texas? Must be uh, some good barbecue. <laughs> well, they, they kind of undersell the barbecue thing, because Franklin eats some, and, I mean, it's, it's, it's an underreaction, if nothing else. You know? But he does react to it, because it turns out in the end, the barbecue's people. The first <laughs> bite he takes of the sausage, he looks at it like, what the fuck is this? And then he just goes back to eating it. Right. But it's like, I mean, it's not, they're not selling me barbecue as a reason to come to Texas. Uh, Come to Texas if you want to see just some hardcore, weird rednecks and just be creeped out. Really? There's more to Texas. I have to believe that there was more to Texas than that, even in the 70s. Well, the the prequel is when they visit the Alamo. And Franklin's wheelchair hits a rock and he rolls into the river walk. That's why he's so bitter by the time they get to the, the home. I can just imagine the five of them just standing in front of the Alamo and just like in uh, the guilt trip. Like, so how long are we supposed to stay? <laughs> they arrive at uh, the Hardesty's grandfather's former estate. They're all looking around, having a joyous time. Franklin, of course, miserable downstairs, having a hard time wheeling himself around as there's no handicap entrance. There's no, uh, not even gravel. It's just a dirt path. Uh, He's having a hard time navigating through. Our first casualties, Pam and Kirk wander off the uh, property, which doesn't look like they go too far, but they hear a generator ringing and they see uh, the property that's neighboring it. 
they walk up and it's at this point they're looking for gasoline um because they hear the generator right i guess that's what they were doing yeah because the first gas station they went to the only gas station in bastrop county at this point (laughs) the only game in town was out of gasoline so they're there to have fun, but also on a quest. I don't know what the backup plan was if they didn't find gasoline. Right, because, see, what got me confused is they tell Franklin they're going to go swim. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, I'm not going to go swim because I have my wheelchair. <laughs> so uh, so then they go, and they, I just I completely missed the fact that they were looking for gas. Yeah, they go they're to so the swimming hole. They're so stupid that I just assumed they, <laughs> they were just wandering off into They would just wander into a stranger's home. <laughs> yeah. What's going on over here? I mean, they are dumbass white people, so they'd right. be like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, but they go to the swimming hole. It's abandoned. They hear the generator. They go up. Pam, first of all, Kirk finds a, a human tooth on the patio there. And he thinks it's hilarious. And instead of a warning sign, he just, yeah, he throws it on her as though it were, you know, so much dead frog and just, you know, messing with your girlfriend when you're 14 years old. Uh, she gets grossed out, goes and sits on the swinging uh, bench outside the house. Beautiful home. Beautiful. Kirk hears someone inside, uh, hears a pig, and he thinks there's trouble afoot. So he wanders in, just breaking and entering, wanders into this other home, uh, trips going into the doorway, and we get our first emergence of Leatherface in this movie. Out of nowhere, no buildup. We are... What? No musical crescendo? Nope. It, it, it's been so long. I mean, we're 30 minutes into the movie at least, and there's been nothing other than questionable barbecue and bad teeth. We haven't really seen anything that would even indicate that this is going to be a brutal... Okay, well, there's the opening. I just remember the opening. Not, not La Roquette's voice, but the, the picture of the... But still, there's nothing going. that's going to indicate that we're going to see a, a huge man wearing another person's face and then right. hammering it, this dude in the head. It, like I said, it's been so long that I already forgot anyway that... The, that there was that that opening with the with the corpses or whatever. So he comes out and it's just maybe like a five second shot where he he hammers him right, mm-hmm. it like hits him in the head with skull. a mallet. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and then that's it. <laughs> Kurt starts convulsing a bit. Leatherface pulls him in and slams the door shut. Then we cut to Pam outside. Kirk, where are you, Kirk? And then of course, like a dumbass, she wanders in there herself. Difference being, she goes left where he went straight, trips over into a room that's just full of dead animals, human bones, feathers. Cut to, I don't know, five minutes of just shots of the bones there. I think Toby Hooper finds bones a lot creepier than I do. He he overestimated uh, the impact of those bones because maybe one or two shots that's enough to sell you the and idea. Basically, Toby Hooper got a gong and figured out how to work sound distortion because <laughs> he's just over and over again. Yes, and this does go on for like legitimately, I think, about two and a half minutes. And then she finally, after looking around for two and a half minutes, thinks I probably should get the fuck out of here. So gets up and goes to run out. Leatherface reemerges, grabs her by the waist, carries her to the kitchen, which is a makeshift butcher shop, and then hangs her out to dry. On a meat hook. This is where the movie turns. This is where I stopped having a relatively good time. <laughs> and I was just disgusted and appalled. This is definitely where it stops fucking around. Right. Because even when, uh, what's his name, gets killed, uh, Eric, Derek. Whitey. Kirk. Guy, Kirk. Uh, <laughs> even when he gets, that's kind of funny because it just comes out of nowhere. And and yeah, the way he convulses is just 
kind of comedic. And we've been laughing at Franklin for so long that just you can't blame me for just being happy that misery happened to someone else. But then this is just uncalled for. Just grab you grab this girl whose biggest crime was probably hanging out with these douchebags and impales her on a hook. And the movie doesn't even have the good sense of cutting away. He just lets her sink into the hook in the background while Leatherface just goes about his day. He uh, he fires up his chainsaw. She's there alive on the hook, you know, in indescribable pain. And then he takes out the chainsaw and he's chopping up her boyfriend in front R- right. of her. Yeah. So, just, I don't know. I, I, I think that this is where Toby Hooper and I disconnected as far as what makes for a pleasant, interesting movie experience. Because I feel like he crossed the line. This, If you're going to be this much of an asshole to a character, you need to get me on your side. I need to think, okay, well, she had it coming or or. You know, she 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 had done nothing wrong up until this point, right? That's the thing. It just feels, and you can't undo it. That's the thing. Like the <laughs> once he puts her in that hook, we know that that's it's over. But it, and the shot lingers there. I, oh yeah, yeah. It was just we make sure to linger, and then we get the up and down shot where we see her feet up off the ground. It, there's a big um, in case you you missed the point that she's just hanging a big, on like the hook. A, a drip tray under her, a big trough to make sure that you know. That barbecue leather sauce face. Has, has <laughs> he doesn't want somewhere. blood on his floor. Uh, Jerry is with Sally and Franklin. He, you know, he thinks they're out goofing around. They're probably out screwing somewhere, as they are teens, amorous teens. He's <laughs> in their mid to late thirties. <laughs> um, he sets out in search of his friends. He obviously the only game in town is this house next to them. He walks over there. Hears some commotion, thinks they're playing a trick on him, wanders in, and he suffers a similar fate. He finds Pam in a freezer, a meat freezer, and she's still alive. She's not alive. What I've been what I've read was this is like the gas escaping her body, and so it causes her to convulse. Okay. The movie did not do a good job explaining that because she Or like as if you put like a, a dead body on ice, it'll cause it to like freak out. It's like those. Uh, let's um, get MythBusters uh, myth on the on the phone. It's like those bowls you can get in Japan with the calamari when you pour the ink on them and they start like flipping out in the bowl. Yeah. Well, this movie's taking not place ink, in soy Texas, sauce, not me. in Japan. The, yeah, the Japanese katana massacre. This is not. <laughs> yeah, Jerry gets killed, letting out a very soprano-like scream right before he gets bludgeoned over the head with a hammer. And Leatherface, at this point, we get, like, this ridiculous uh, sympathetic shot of him, like, sitting out while the sun sets. And this, woes me, what a day. It's like, they keep coming. <laughs> it's a, I, I just want to be left alone. I really, I couldn't, I mean, we, we jest. But really, I couldn't read what was going on with that shot. I, I mean, I could tell he was distressed. But because he has a... a a mask that covers... He's like the Green Goblin in the first Spider-Man movie, but Sam Raimi. You can't tell his facial expressions. His facial expressions are hidden by this... <laughs> Just Willem Dafoe under there. <laughs> Could to- be. Totally relaxed. Uh, you know, he sits down, he puts his his head on his hands. The universal uh, body language for distress. And But I couldn't tell if he was just upset that things had kind of gotten out of hand. Like, he didn't plan to kill anyone today, and now he has three <laughs> three bodies under his belt. Uh, or was he upset that, that there's more? 
you know, he can tell, like, man, every time, like, you know, you see, like, a roach, you kill the roach, and then you find another roach, like, five minutes later, and you're like, fuck, is there a nest somewhere? So, I couldn't tell, and really, the movie never gives you an answer. This is the one moment that they come close to maybe giving you a glimpse into Leatherface, legendary horror icon Leatherface. I could maybe try to get into his head, but no, nothing else. There's no follow-up. Yeah, it's like he he feels some remorse, but then he just kind of looks up and says, good. (laughs) I'm glad they came here. (laughs) Sally and Franklin back at the van. They have the lights on. They're honking the horn They're at this point. uh, Sally especially is beyond um, comfort as she's obviously concerned, understandably so. She says she's going to go out and look for Jerry. And Franklin says, nope, not without me. It's the middle of the night. They're in, you know. No East, man's land. He's Jesus nowhere. <laughs> right. And I guess and Franklin never... hits her with the. Well, hang on. I'm, I'm going to come too. Uh, they've never watched a horror movie. No. Apparently. They were unaware that they were writing the book on it here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know that Toby Hooper had watched many horror movies either because he is going through his cast. He only had five characters and he's down to two. And this all happened in like 10 minutes. Yeah. He, pacing was not his specialty. <laughs> It's like he stood on a hose and then like got <laughs> off of it and then turned it off. I mean, he figured out how to, to facilitate the water flow. They go out searching. The Franklin's pushed through the woods with my second or third favorite line of the movie when Sally's having a hard time pushing him. And he says, get back and push down. And she's trying to operate his wheelchair through these uh, this lush forestry. And he finally says, Sally, stop. I think I hear something. Here's something he did. And it would be the last thing he heard. Leatherface reappears and graphically murders Franklin in his wheelchair. With the chainsaw. Finally. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre and all three kills so far have been uh, by Mallet, by Hook, and by... Mallet. Mallet again. Fuck, Toby Hooper? (laughs) (laughs) Uh so we finally get a kill with the chainsaw. And honestly, after the hook, it's just, I was desensitized. We peaked on the phone. We, yeah, we peaked on the hook. <laughs> it just, I, I, was, I was surprised by how little I cared about the chainsaw kill. Partly the way it's shot. I mean, Toby Hooper just showed me that girl impaled, like in detail. Yeah. I'm blinking. Uh, I don't know, maybe 10 Fifty minutes before, and and now <laughs> I don't he even gets, know that long. Yeah, but now he gets shy when it comes to Franklin's death. It's it's shot from behind, so his body and his wheelchair are covering the carnage, and it's just a Leatherface could be tickling him for all I know. We just see his arms flailing like the final form that Jeff Goldblum takes in The Fly. <laughs> He's just, eh. but from behind, so you don't even get the beautiful eyes. That's right. And but yeah, Leatherface takes care of him real quick, and then the hunt is on. If he's after Sally, the last of uh, a literal dying breed of these teens that showed up in Texas, and literally don't mess with Texas. <laughs> this is a, a a solid nine minute set piece of him just running around with his chainsaw, chasing Sally through the woods, and then the backyard, and then. The home and then the backyard again. That's the thing. I don't know if I should commend Toby Hooper or 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 just roll my eyes at how stupid this whole thing is because it's not even like he repeats the shots. So he actually made the actors go through this over and over and just 
just her running. <laughs> that's that's all that happens. There's no character development. There's nothing. All I can tell is that. I do like Leatherface has this like jig, like feats don't fail me now. Well, that's the thing because that, that was my one thought during this really, really, really long sequence is he's a big guy. He's not particularly graceful. How is it that he hasn't cut himself yet? Because he's running. It, it's just wilderness. Yeah. The chase leads back somehow. I don't really know how close in proximity it was or how we got back there, but we're back to the gas station, the barbecue stand that we started at. It's been several days. <laughs> we started at about an hour ago. And uh, Jim Sidow, who's just simply known as the cook in this movie, or the dad, appears. At this point, all we know of him is that he runs the gas station and he makes barbecue. Oh, I'm sorry, his official title is Old Man. He's not even, he doesn't even get a job. <laughs> it was, yeah, that Toby Hooper and Kim Hinkle writing the script. F- fuck it, we'll figure out their <laughs> names later. They never call Leatherface Leatherface. Uh, in a moment, of real talk. If I remember correctly, I think there is, there was a deleted scene where they referred to him as Leatherface. Like, hey, Leatherface, come on, <laughs> dinner served. <laughs> or like right before. Uh, Paul Partain died, and Sally, I think I hear something. Would you look at that? It looks like a a, a leather face. <laughs> so they end up at this uh, barbecue shop, which um, I forget what it's called now. It still stands to this day. And they, Franklin's, they, in honor of the deceased. <laughs> the, the famous Austin barbecue chain. That's where it got its name from. Uh, but the barbecue stand, the that gas station stands to this day. I think it's just called the station or some shit like that. Anyway, 45 years ago, Jim Sidow comes out. He explains that he's going to help Marilyn Burns. He's going to help Sally. Takes her into the back where the barbecue be a-cooking. Says he's going to go get his truck. Take her to safety. Uh, so he leaves. And then in a moment of tension, he leaves the door open. So we're like, oh, fuck, some shit's going to happen. Uh, but instead, they use this to divert your attention to the barbecue pit where we're supposed to just pick up on the fact that the barbecue is people like despite they're not really yeah it's not green and it's not soiling how am i supposed to know this it's not like there's a, a human hand and arm in there it just all looks like sausage and brisket that's exactly what i was thinking so you know this because you've listened to the commentary or are you just creating headcanon because it makes it creepier that they were actually eating people oh or did john laroquette tell us this in the opening <laughs> it's true it was people <laughs> Um, no, 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 because in 2, it picks up kind of... It, it, 2 is in canon, and 2 is them... You find out that, like, their barbecue is people. It starts with them, like, the recipe. They're just... Pretty much. <laughs> Jim Sidow's in a chili competition, and, like, they ask him, like, what's your special trick? And, oh, it's all in the meat. Marissa Tomei is on the other end of the, of the table. <laughs> yeah. And uh, a young, spry William H. Macy... <laughs> Hey, guys. Man, we have derailed quicker than this scene. <laughs> Sidow, Jim Sidow, old man, the cook, dad, whatever you want to call him, shows back up. And he, and he, he is definitely old school. He, he is not his son. He doesn't have a chainsaw. He just has a burlap sack and a broom. Does it, and Marilyn Burns, Sally, she has a knife. Somehow she loses this fight. <laughs> to a man who's... 40 years her senior at least and has like no reflex speed. Yeah, and this is it is still early in the night for her. 
Yes. I could see her losing the fight after everything that happens in the house, uh, you know, in the next sequence. But this is, she, I mean, she's been running. She's in shape. She fell a couple of times, but she still, she could have beaten him. She could have at least tried to make some damage. Uh, but he he swats her with the broom like like she's a fly. <laughs> and then she just gives up the knife. And then she gets hit in the head with the broom and then saddled in the bag, thrown in the truck, takes her back, making sure to poke her along the way. Very devious old man. Yeah, this is where... uh, So I said the movie took a turn during the hook scene. And this is, I guess, the other turn. This is is where we cross the point of no return. Well, yeah, because now it's just all the cards are on the table and... I referenced Saw earlier because it. I, that's when I, I think we went into Saw territory. This was just torture porn before torture porn was a thing. Uh, you want to you wanna blame someone for Eli Roth? You can blame Toby Hooper. This is just the next... I mean, we have, what, 20 minutes left of the movie, maybe? Mm-hmm. The next 20 minutes is just a bunch of dudes making this girl's life miserable, horribly, like, psychologically, physically... I guess, thankfully, not sexually. No. I guess it, there was a line that he wouldn't cross, that Toby Hooper wouldn't wouldn't go there. But it does seem that the I, I keep wanting to call him the Hewitt family because that's what we find out their name is in the remake. But the gentlemen of this movie, old man, hitchhiker, and Leatherface, they all seem pretty asexual. At no point in this does it really establish that they're interested in her in any type of romantic way. It's just. They get pleasure out of killing people, chopping them up, and eating them. On the drive back, we reincorporate uh, Edwin Neal back into the story. He's found outside the home. Go in. They tie up Marilyn Burns. Leatherface dons a, a new mask, a new outfit for the dinner. He, It's a woman's face that's all made up. And they're going to have dinner. And then they also go retrieve uh, this grandpa character, which they bring down. And it looks like a decomposing body. That was the, the probably the weakest special effect in the movie. Uh, this makeup, this, I mean, if you were to tell me that he's just a mummified corpse, okay, mm-hmm. I buy it. But the moment that you actually try to sell this as a, as a person that's still alive, uh, the suspension of disbelief was completely shattered. I just, I just didn't buy it. And uh, at first I thought, okay. It definitely crosses the movie from horror to fantasy real quick. Yeah. And you think at first, oh, they're crazy, right? They have the corpse of the grandfather is there and they treat it like, like he's, he's alive. still alive. But but no, then he starts moving. <laughs> yeah, they uh, slice open Marilyn's finger and stick it into Grandpa's mouth, and he starts feeding on it like a baby on a bottle, and this somehow brings him back to life. John Dugan was his name, which uh, he also was like in his 20s at the time. So I don't know why they, they had Jim Seedow just right there, old as shit. They could have just used him <laughs> for the Grandpa character, but instead they had to go through all this money and time putting makeup on uh, John Dugan. So well, they nobody sucked on a finger like John Dugan. He was <laughs> the best at the audition. So it was so tantalizing, in fact, that it caused Marilyn Burns to pass out. She wakes back up, and then it is just nonstop screaming and close-ups of her eyeball. This is even I don't know if it's actually longer than that chase sequence, but it feels longer than that <laughs> chase sequence because it's not just her screaming; is it's the back and forth of her screams and then all these guys at the table laughing and making fun of her. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, Leatherface howling incessantly. Yes. And the grandpa, I guess, kind of being halfway uh, passed out. At this time, at this moment, I realized that I don't know if it's because it happens in the remake or just because, you know, it's the year 2019. But I'm like, why isn't there a female 
serial killer at this table. It's just three dudes. It's total sausage fest. It would feel maybe a little less misogynistic and if you brisket. had uh, <laughs> and brisket. Um, it's a bris- brisket fest. Um, am I am I wrong? Is there a, is there a, a woman in the remake? No. It's just three guys. There's like a family. There's not a woman killer. But there's like there's women. There's women because I remember that is uh, the trailer. That lady goes my oh my my my. Oh yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like... <laughs> I remember that too. No yeah. There's uh, women that help with like facilitating the killing they, uh, they don't actually uh, do uh, any of it though right. progress <laughs> it only took what would that have been uh, 30 years yeah close to 30 years 30 years and marcus and spell and then michael bay to get behind the production of that so the idea here is grandpa is going to kill Marilyn as they talk up his game as though he is fiedor milianenko in 2003 he is the end all be all all it takes is one strike and it's over uh so they put a hammer in his hand and they don't even like duct tape it in place. They just think he's going to hold it. And he just keeps dropping it obviously over and over again. Uh, much like the opening of the movie with Franklin tumbling down that hill. This was just completely inappropriate, out of place comedy. Uh, I mean, it's just slapstick and it goes on forever. They just repeat that joke. He keeps, he drops that hammer like 10 times mm-hmm. in the end. I think that it's not that the script called for Marilyn Burns to run away. She just got tired of it. <laughs> Yes, and if you believe the legends are shooting this scene too, I think any they just want it out. They want it out of here. <laughs> she escapes, jumps through a window, which that was my favorite part uh, in the original chase sequence. She jumps through a second story window. In this escape, she jumps through a first story window. I, I guess just doors aren't her thing. It, that's just it's her move. Or she doesn't even throw like a chair through it first and then dive through. She just fuck it and dives right into it. Those movies, she'd seen action movies. She hasn't seen horror movies, but she was familiar with action movies. Yes. That's how you escape. She watched Vertigo a thousand times <laughs> before. She gets out, escapes. It is sunset. Looks to be an, a gorgeous day in Texas. As she makes her way down the uh, gravel driveway at the uh, residence, Edwin Neal comes out first, begins chasing her. He's not up. even trying. No. He catches up to her. Several times. With a, he's got his straight razor. He's just slashing her in the back over and over again. They finally get out to the main road, twenty-two, twenty-two, twenty-two forty-four. I don't know. One of the twenty-three. Yeah, I'm not sure which road it is, but they get out there, and this big ass truck comes. Marilyn Burns books it. Uh, I guess stage right would be from camera's perspective. And we get the. Uh, this is like an Austin Powers sequence. We just get Edwin Neal standing in front of this oncoming truck going. No, when it's clearly still like 40 feet away from him. <laughs> and then he gets hit and run over and he explodes. It's basically they just put a T-shirt and pants on four cardboard boxes and just let it go. Um, too little, too late as far as make giving me the feeling of vindication that one of the bad guys is finally done, right? One, didn't feel uh, proportionate to all the misery that he had inflicted. And second, it's not even like... Marilyn Burns pushed him in front of the truck. <laughs> she had zero uh, participation on his death, which yeah. already makes it less satisfying. And, and then it's a shitty special effect. So <laughs> it didn't even, not even that way connected. It's a threefer. <laughs> truck pulls over and stops because he just killed a man. <laughs> <laughs> Remember the good old days when people <laughs> do that? <laughs> and uh, our only character of color in the entire movie gets out at this point. Yeah, it's, and it's, he sees Leatherface and says, "Fuck this, I'm out." 
this this guy he probably dies right because by the end of this final sequence Marilyn Burns books it with a different truck mm-hmm. and this guy is left alone with with Leatherface and a chainsaw yeah so I mean presumably he's not in part two so <laughs> but what he does do to buy them some time he uh, grabs a wrench out of his truck. And just hurls it, shot puts it at the fucking forehead of Leatherface. Gunnar Hansen goes down like a sack of barbecue, for lack of a better term. Chainsaw falls on his leg, cuts him open. So this definitely slows him down. This is the same chainsaw that just basically destroyed Franklin within two seconds. And yet when it falls on this guy's leg, it kind of, you know, it's like a paper cut. It's... It's a lukewarm knife through butter. It just kind of <laughs> takes its time getting there. Is this a statement of how much of a, a how bland Franklin was, or how tough Leatherface is? I think it's more of a statement of how much man there was with Franklin that he dulled the blade <laughs> on the chainsaw. <laughs> he just went to town on him too much. He gets up. He's hurting. Another truck pulls up. Marilyn hops in the flatbed. Leatherface makes it there, but just as the truck manages to peel away, Marilyn at this point uh, begins laughing maniacally. She's laughing because she left the black dude behind. Jesus. She's laughing maniacally. It's easy to uh, deduce from this that she's going to be traumatized for the rest of her days, but she has escaped. We use this getaway to cut to some really artsy conclusion of Leatherface dancing with his chainsaw as the sun rises in the background. Have you seen the, the trailer the, for Joker? And then the word Finn comes up. <laughs> um, I, I think it's the trailer for Joker. Where, where he's dancing where, on the staircase. Where he's dancing on the, that's his Leatherface moment. And then it's over. I mean. Much like even... the original Secret Life of Walter Mitty, <laughs> it ends as quickly as it began. Paul, <laughs> that we call him. I don't remember the name of the boss. Oh yeah, when he calls him by his first name, Roger <laughs> Leatherface. <laughs> I think they credit him as Leatherface in uh, in the credits, despite him never being referred to as that. It's inaccurate anyway, because he should be Skinface. <laughs> I was a bit better Chainsaw Man, <laughs> Hitchhiker Old Man, Chainsaw Man, Girl that survives, Girl that gets killed in the hook. Uh, <laughs> I it was so it's what like eighty minutes, eighty eight minutes, right? Eighty three, if I remember correctly. The movie could have used a solid extra ten minutes, maybe. Excuse me. To flesh out characters, to make me feel like uh, good play on words there. <laughs> uh, made me feel like I learned something. What was the point of all this? Jim Sidow just with the end of the broom, like you just see like a severed leg and he's trying to shove it in the meat compactor. Uh, well, I just want somebody to have a meaningful conversation <laughs> so that we can put this in perspective. And, you know, why did this happen? What have we learned from this? Have, yeah, some conversation of uh, have Franklin and... I had what alcoholics <laughs> refer to as a moment of clarity. Well, even if he just said we should have heeded the warnings, <laughs> I don't know. There's there's nothing to this other than just the visceral horror of, of just <laughs> of backwoods Texas. <laughs> right. Which is inaccurate. At least, you know, somewhat. Yeah. That I, I wanted 
civilized Texas to come to the rescue or at least show up as some sort of contrast. You could. What if the movie ends with you know he's dancing it's with the Antifa? Chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you. You pull back from his dance. He's dancing with the chainsaw. And you pull back, and then you see that it's on a TV. And then there's like a family that's not cannibals, just eating a, a regular barbecue, and they're watching TV. And they're like, "Man, that's crazy!" And they're they're in Austin, Texas, or whatever. It, I don't know. Give me something other than we just we just Beto torture O'Rourke watching it. Why did it have to be a white man's face that he wore? <laughs> I will come back for your chainsaws. I'll take every single chainsaw you have. <laughs> yeah, and then it just ends, and you're like, what fucking time period was this movie in? Timeless. <laughs> Toby Hooper wasn't going for a, uh, specific details or anything. He wanted to make universal horror. What's scarier than a chainsaw and a big guy? La La Land. <laughs> so for 83 minutes, Toby Hooper managed to cram it full of action and devoid it of any substance but the thing is he had about 30 minutes where he could have given us some substance Mm -hmm. before he gets crazy he just chose not to (laughs) he chose to give us the most inane uh interactions between the five characters Uh, so honestly if not for how memorable it is the way that they die i wouldn't be able to tell them apart Mm -hmm. other than the guy in the wheelchair like I couldn't tell you, oh, it was Sally. Early surviving. contender for the Embry, Paul Partain as <laughs> Franklin Hardesty, the invalid in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. All right. All right. Ready for real talk? Fuck yeah. Let's talk about this masterpiece. We are recording for Real Talk, for the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. A masterpiece. Is it? Very much so. I would like to hear your argument to I'm... call this a masterpiece. <laughs> Is it art? Let's get Scorsese on the phone. Yeah, okay, I would hope Marty would give this I don't know. two His... eyebrows up as opposed to... <laughs> His judgment calls have been kind of arbitrary now. Well, that's is, your is, opinion. Is it because uh, Leatherface doesn't have any superpowers? So now it's it's actually cinema. Why are there conflicting release dates on this? This is pissing me off. I always think I have my shit together and then I keep finding different things. Some places are saying it was released in April. Some places are saying it was released in October. I know they it filmed expanded it. In yeah, October. they filmed it in 73 up into 74. According to Wikipedia... This is October 11th, 1974. The IMDb page said October 4th, 1974. (laughs) Sometime in 1974, a movie written by Kim Hinkle and Toby Hooper, directed by Mr. Hooper, was released titled The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And we were born anew as a society. As a country. Uh, The budget ranges. The most favorite that all involve always like to cling to is the number 80,000. Um, some people have said as high as uh, about 150000 for the budget. 
regardless, modest. And uh, which led to many, many, uh, not cheap effects, but just non-effects. This, aside from someone, you know, finger painting blood onto Leatherface when he's killing Franklin, a lot of this movie's fairly bloodless. Uh, in terms I mean, of actual, like, explosion kill, right. of effect. Yeah, yeah. Let's say there's plenty of blood. Uh, the first two that gets hammered, there's a big pool of blood and whatnot. We'll get into the kills individually and just the oh, amazing <laughs> nature of it. Um, but yes, 88% on Rotten Tomatoes, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, one of the most influential uh, horror movies ever. And potentially you could just chop off that horror and just say movies. Unlike uh, the other horror movies we've covered in The Contrarians, uh, most notably recently, our two-parter on Nightmare on Elm Street. It's not like this really had a Kevin Bacon or a Johnny Depp or, you know, a Lawrence Fishburne. It had Paul... Partain. Paul Partain. Gunnar Hansen, who played Leatherface. Edwin Neal. It's a lot to this. So before we get too deep into it, before I just fucking unleash <laughs> and to put a it's pin, all been building up to this. Put a pin on the fiduciary standings. Uh box office return was estimated around thirty million, so it definitely made its money. So much so that it spun an entire franchise and a sequel that came out fourteen years later. The Dennis Hopper one, it was a it was a delayed sequel. So it was the opposite of the Nightmare on Elm Street, where yeah. they couldn't crank out the sequel fast enough. Well, this movie like was not met with the same Marvel that Nightmare on Elm Street was met with. This was met with, we need to get this fucking <laughs> off the screen right now. Like, it was just roadshow screenings. It was Toby Hooper just traveling America during with his print of uh, <laughs> the yeah. Massacre. He had the can with the fucking six reels in it and just, you know, in his splicer and would build it up. In our lifetimes, it was still banned in some countries. Like the first time I rented it, I think it was still banned in maybe Australia. Like I think like the ban on it was hilariously long up until a certain point. Definitely uh, a lightning rod of controversy. And we'll talk about the hilarious irony of that after you finish your quotes there. Um, so who, what fucking cretins don't like this movie? My dad and who else? <laughs> uh, funny you ask. Roger Ebert from the Chicago ah. Sun-Times. <laughs> he didn't like the master either. Uh, God rest his soul. Uh, there you go. Disqualified. Yep. Uh, the movie is some kind of weird off-the-wall achievement. I can't imagine why anyone would want to make a movie like this. <laughs> He goes on to say, and yes, it's well made, well acted, and all too effective. So, you know, he didn't entirely. Right. Uh, On the other hand, uh, Steve Crum from Dispatch Tribune Newspapers just says, cultish trash set new low standards for brutality. It always bothers me, and I don't know if it always did or just now, in the past couple years or so, um, referring to a movie as trash or garbage sounds so meaner i don't know compared to i think before it didn't bother me and now it just feels like one of the worst insults <laughs> to a movie this is garbage i adopted this that from my time trash. at cinemark especially with uh we worked with a gentleman by the name of dan who he and i that was one of our reviews we would give bad movies and say it was trash and i've really held on to that yeah but i think that there's a difference between like us saying oh, this it, is well, trash and, and you getting on you know a newspaper and saying this movie is trash well some words also look way more vile in print than they do yeah. out loud yeah 
once you get that uh that green splotch next to your picture <laughs> and with the it, word it, trash <laughs> next to it yeah that, that it stings a little more uh and finally david keys from cinemafile.org says my personal philosophy remains unmoved by skill and prowess when it comes to an idea this drastic. A chainsaw is a cheater's instrument, a device that disrupts all threads of rhythm and psychology. What is he complaining about? I don't, yeah. The kills were not artful enough. I don't know. Would he be okay if he like was a double the... feature with the birds in this? <laughs> he was like... uh, that's my terrible segue into, uh, yeah, Toby Hooper from all recounts of the making of this i think he thought he was making some like hitchcockian type movie that could just be played on like tv no way uh john dugan i remember specifically uh in an interview or a documentary might be the saws family documentary i just remember him saying that at one point in time they were in between takes and Hooper was behind the camera putting uh, like masking tape or some sort of tape. He was trying to frame the camera to see what it looked like four three ratio because he was trying to see and they asked him, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm trying to see what this is going to look like when they air it on TV. And like no one in the <laughs> cast had the heart to tell him like this is never going to air on television. Um, that can't be a true story. <laughs> that's from what I've read. He he thought uh he originally submitted it as the legend goes. He originally submitted it thinking it was going to get a PG rating. M- mind <laughs> you, this is before PG 13. This is before uh, Saturday night fever changed the game. Um, but they repeatedly, I mean, understandably. So at the time they repeatedly got an X rating. They kept having to like cut down sequences and shit. Um, I don't have my laptop open and Julio can attest to this. Uh, I can, if you ever want to watch this movie with me, with me, I can provide endless trivia. It's, the movie I had know the most about the making of and, you know, the production hell and all that shit. It's like those Amazon Prime pop ups. <laughs> exactly. And it's not to be fair. It's not like the trivia. If there's anything interesting, like um, uh, Al Pacino almost played the part of Kirk. Like there's <laughs> nothing like that. It's just, you know, all the hell they went through making this because it was just a low budget movie. And um, it's weird. It's one of those things. It's like the Beatles, like not to compare, you know, the body of work, but it, in a sense, nothing existed like this beforehand. So to think up doing something like this is so perplexing. It's also like the Beatles in the sense that uh, John Lennon had no idea that they were such a sensation and that they were transgressing like so many things. <laughs> he just thought they were just a family act. <laughs> he was really surprised when he... uh got on the what was it the tonight show or whatever and the all ed those sullivan th- show the ed sullivan show and all those girls will were losing their mind he was like toby hooper so, <laughs> this is not pg <laughs> ah! uh of course the famous tagline based off a true story much like psycho and silence of the lambs the influence of a man wearing another person's skin taken of course from ed Gein who he only killed two people. So can you consider that? Does that consider serial serial killer? I don't know. I I'll tell you what, though, in this particular case, I don't think it makes a difference. Like as far as the, the, the inspiration. Well, I don't know. Are you legally obligated to to say, hey, this was inspired by this serial killer because there's similarities? Can you get in trouble <laughs> with the Ed Keen state if you don't acknowledge that? You can just throw based on a true story on there. Nick Swartzen had an amazing bit about how they can do that in movies and how he uh, 
if he was in Hollywood just to fuck with stone people in the crowd, he would have put based on a true story before Transformers aired. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, the Coens famously did it with Fargo. Yeah, 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 yeah. And this will actually come up in the remake episode because they kind of take that based on a true story thing a bit further. So we'll kind of come back to that. So I don't want to go too, too deep into it. But basically, anyone who's listening to this is an intelligent person. So they understand there wasn't an actual leather face that killed people with a chainsaw in Texas. It was what? <laughs> based off of Ed Gein, who I Midwest or somewhere in the fucking boonies somewhere. Crazy man raised by his mother, lived with her way too long, ended up robbing graves. And uh, he killed two people, if I remember correctly. Is this before or after he ran the motel? <laughs> Uh, the main thing I remember about him was when they raided his home uh, he had a belt made of nipples that he wore and uh, a jar of chewed bubble gum that they didn't really know where it came from it just the reason that stood out to me is because that is the most off-putting shit I've ever heard in my life Um, nipple belt or uh, chewing gum oh the gum way more (laughs) nipple belt I could see I mean Nikki Six would wear something like that so I don't I guess it depends on the nipples. <laughs> yeah. Who are we talking here? <laughs> so this movie fucking rules. This is um, it's such a fascinating film in that it is lumped in easily and obviously with the Friday the 13th, the Nightmare on Elm Streets, even unfortunately the saws of the world as saw has penetrated that uh, uh, biodome, so to speak. However, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, there can be only one, much like the Highlander. And this movie <laughs> still, to this day, 45 years after its release, is accompanied with a sense of danger that none of those movies come close to. I agree. I want to come at this in two two separate flanks okay. because I think that there's one, obviously, uh, the fact that, yes, it may get grouped with those movies, but it's nothing like them in the sense that this feels real. You know, like, this is not playing around. This is the real thing. And the other movies are just kind of, hey, let's have fun with with the scares. Yeah. Uh, also, they might even... It, it blows my mind what you said about Toby Hooper thinking that this shit was ever going to play <laughs> on TV. As yeah. a feature. <laughs> that, to me, it it kind of... I'm fairly positive to this day it's never aired on television. It just upends what I was, how I saw this movie. And I've only seen it twice counting tonight, right? Because to me, well, it's not a pleasant experience. It's by design. It's meant to upset you and just gross you out and even even more than that, just disturb you, right? I guess, yeah, I should be saying wow myself that I've seen it so many times that I can just quote it. Right. Well, I I also understand that it's, it's like a roller coaster. And I guess that's like the other end of it so on one end i can see marty i can see how it has artistic merit it's it's crafted in a way that it elicits an emotional response that's really strong and it's exactly what that movie is designed to do and and it works but then as somebody who's not a horror fan Mm -hmm. who doesn't necessarily seek out that specific type of experience when i watch it i admire it for being so just aggressively the way it wants to be but i'm also left because that's not my thing when it's over i'm just like so why (laughs) you know and i imagine that's something like if you don't like roller coasters you look at people that like roller coasters and they go through that yeah three minute five minute uh experience and then they come out and they're 
just beaten down by the experience in in but they love it and if you don't like roller coasters you just can't imagine why you can't really understand what the word the pleasure is yeah. why are you uh why would you go again <laughs> right and so it's it's that thing where it's not uh unique to the texas chainsaw massacre i mean give me most horror movies that are revered as as a visceral experience rather than a story experience and i'll find myself similarly confounded right i'm just if you don't have characters because you don't and you don't have a story because you don't really yeah have it what are you left with just this really nasty shit happening on screen and affecting you in a very powerful way uh not a pleasant way right unless you're alex mattis apparently <laughs> No, and, and you're. I'm actually. I'm building up to the question of like, how? What? What's the experience like to you? Because mm. when I watch it, I I'm just recoiling. And, and this time around, you know, I was taking notes and thinking of funny things to say. So it kind of took the edge a little bit. But if it was just me watching this on a screen in the dark, it would be, it would be punishing, and and I can put myself through punishing movies when. When there's something at the end, I come out with a better understanding of the world or a better understanding of of a specific character. But that's not the case here. Here, you're really going in just to get that thrill of, wow, how fucked up is this? Yeah. Right? But do you get something else out of it when you watch it? Based on the clip that you read and also just what I was kind of thumbing through, I think that's a lot of what Ebert's review goes to speak to about it. Like, it's incredibly well made and, you know, it does its part, but like, why? why? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, you can say that about so many things that, that are just not on your wavelength. Right. I, I watched the passion of the Christ. It, and I could rationalize why we spent, is it a 12 hour movie? 90 minute movie? I don't know. Let's say we spent 90 minutes watching a man getting just tortured. And in this case, it's not supposed to be a horror movie. It's supposed to be, you know, I guess it's supposed to give you some sort of understanding of what I've still never seen it. The passion of well, my my take. I never talked to Mel and Gibson about this. My boy Jim Caviezel never recovered from it. <laughs> no shit. Uh, I've never talked to Mel Gibson or or Caviezel for that matter about this. But to me, it was like, hey, uh, maybe what Gibson was aiming to do was give you uh, a visceral experience of what it was like to go through all that stuff that usually gets thrown out in just one line when you're reading the the, the Bible or when you're quoting, you're like, oh yeah, and by the way, Jesus suffered. Yeah. And now you sit down and you suffer with him for like 90 minutes and you come out of it and you're like, oh, that's fucked up. Maybe next time you bring it up, it, it has a little more weight because you went through that. Uh, but if you are not religiously inclined or you don't have any sort of in into that situation, you could watch something like The Passion of the Christ and be like, it's the same as the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's well done. It looks great. But why? <laughs> uh, so there's, to me, there's a myriad of ways to approach this movie and it's redeeming merit. Uh, one, yeah, you kind of already mentioned it. I think it's a beautifully made film. I think it looks amazing. And also it's worth mentioning Julio and I watched the, I have the 40th anniversary Blu-ray, which was the 4k restoration. And we can both agree. It looks amazing. It looks great. You could see every misshapen tooth <laughs> in uh, Leatherface's mouth. So several things come to mind. Uh, one first and foremost will always be a nostalgia thing because the first time I ever saw this movie, uh, it was right after I moved to Texas and I miss my buddies that I was in eighth grade with and my freshman year of high school with. And I went back to visit over the summer 
and my buddy Ben lived right across the street from the video store. It's called the Video Connection. And, um, you know, at 15, bordering on 16, started smoking weed for the first time. So we got high and then we went and got a bunch of snacks and uh, they were still VHSs. And we're like, oh, and I think the cover was the one, the like the propaganda one that uh, or the really salacious one, I should say, that was like banned in X amount of countries and all that. <laughs> we're like, yeah, let's watch this. So we did and kept smoking and just like had a good time with it. And I just remember there was like four or five of us on his couch. And I remember at the end when the the brother gets out of the truck, we all just, go, Oh shit. <laughs> Got like, I just have a vivid memory of all of us getting really excited when he threw that wrench at Leatherface's head. But up until that point in my life, I had only seen like the famous poster for it and a couple of still shots of Leatherface. Cause you know, obviously shit wasn't as accessible as it is now. So, and they never showed it on TV. So it was like this, unobtainable thing. And I had seen like Halloween and Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, all that shit up until that point. Um, and uh, Joe Bob Briggs, when he would host the monster vision, I think it was called on TNT. So I had seen a lot, but this, it was like this Holy grail of them. So seeing it for the first time was a big deal. Then kind of growing up and realizing from a filmmaking standpoint, how good it is. Then on top of that, like uh, my friendship with Reed or a friend of the podcast uh, as much as we both love wrestling, a lot of our friendships been kind of woven with our love of horror movies, and that's a big part of it. He's someone I know I can talk to for fucking two hours about the artistic merit behind this movie. Um, all that aside, nostalgia and personal feelings, just viewing it, I always get off on watching things or listening to music or something and then being like, man, can you imagine like watching this in its time? Uh-huh. Because then I kind of appreciate and uh, celebrate that art for being like ahead of its time type thing. So that's a big deal to me too. And then on top of it all, it's just unrelenting. It's, you know, for someone that enjoys horror movies and not for the gore factor, because if that was the case, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the original Halloween wouldn't be my favorite horror movies. It would be fucking, uh, I don't know, a Serbian film or cannibal Holocaust or fucking, uh, Saw, which I think we can agree on. This is such a disconnect my dad has with horror movies. He lumps this all in. And I brought him up several times just for context. On my birthday this year, he's, my parents were like, what do you want to do? I was like, I want to watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So we all watched it as a family. My dad, not as extreme. Uh, you weren't as extreme when it was over. He's like, what redeeming value is there to that movie? To be fair, I'm asking that question for the sake of the podcast. Not yeah. because I'm just, why no, would we yeah. do this? I mean, I... No, it's definitely, I don't think we've done any movie that crosses the line into like, this is repulsive. I don't want to watch this. At least not horror wise. I'm sure no. that we've had that Christmas with the cranks. But <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. With that in mind, it hits so many good beats and then deconstructing it as a slasher movie, which I don't really think it is, but I know that's where it gets lumped in. Uh, even then, what it's good at is... The, one of the biggest compliments I can give it is the acting comes off pretty solid because it's so minimal. It's so well paced and like, OK, we don't want to give them too much because then it's going to over. We want to accentuate the positives, hide the negatives. It's it's what Wes Craven didn't do in the original Nine on Elm Street. Exactly. Because that. Yeah. 83 minutes. <laughs> the purveyor of the Mattis rule. Uh, and then after all these years, it's still I've seen it you know, two dozen times I've seen it 
uh, in the theater. And then I went to the, um, I was telling Julio this, the draft house back in 04 hosted a screening at the house in Kingsland, Texas. They put a huge inflatable screen and then shot, they had a 35 millimeter projector in the back of a truck that they just shot it up onto the screen and they served barbecue cast was there fucking great time. But all that being said, 45 years later, it still hits you. Like um, the first kill, Kirk, when he comes through the door and he trips and then you see that first shot of Leatherface and then he hits him with the hammer. Like your nervous laughter when that happened was like a genuine reaction. Like, I, I completely forgotten. I mean, like I said, I've only watched this movie once before and it was over 20 years ago. So the only things I remember were the hook because that shit will stay with you forever. Yep. And uh and the old man sucking on her finger because it grows me the fuck out. <laughs> when I and then the final shot. That's yeah. all I remember. Uh so yeah, I I just I chuckled. That's iconic. That that for and like the color of it all with the the red backdrop and he's got the yellow uh apron on and the mask and then it's just him rearing back with the hammer and then he hits him and oh god, it's that's like Oh, brilliant. I, I'm just getting goosebumps over here thinking about it. Um, it works for what it is. And as someone who it walks right up to the line. I was That was going to be my follow-up question. Because I, I think that uh, there is... Is watching this, I was I was wondering about that line. I was wondering about when when do you draw... Where do you draw the line as far as just gratuitous you know i I, in contrary's corner i mentioned i I called it uh torture porn Mm -hmm. which is something that i mean i don't know how recent the term is they come up with like the saw movies (laughs) to my (laughs) knowledge yeah right and at least on paper you could see that because like i said before is there's no story there's no character so really what's driving you is just seeing these men uh well massacre four kids and then really put the last one through the ringer and so that's really the only thing that's driving the plot, the only thing that's driving the movie. And so at what point does it become, at what point is that wrong? Is it ever wrong? You know, where, where do you draw that line? That is, that's what's kind of, this movie is an, not an anomaly, but it's the one of its kind because, uh, yeah, the original Halloween, it, it, towards the end, it's just, all right, get it, I got to get the fuck out of here. Where all these other, you know, um, most other horror movies I like at some point there's a character or characters that figure out this revenge plot. We're going to get them back. And like, you know, we're, we're going to stop this force with this. It's just like, as an audience, you're just like, fuck, no one's going to make it out. And then when Sally makes it out at the end, it's like, Oh, who? And then the credits roll. And it's like, (laughs) what the fuck to the point though, this is likely something that I'll touch on too with the remake where to me, they kind of lost sense of the original because the remake does. It's really, really violent and not to say this isn't, but it's violent and uh, comparatively speaking, maybe like a Pulp Fiction sense and that you see some blood on camera. But most of the really heavy shit is either implied or done off screen. The hook, though. To me, the reason that and you put it well, it stays with you is because it's practical and relatable. This is completely side tangent from what your question was, but rewatching it, it it did make me like, man, fuck all these digital effects and all this shit. People (laughs) acting at tennis balls and stuff like they figured out a way to make this look real. They put her in this harness, hung her up. Anyway, as you can tell, I get very passionate and emotional about this movie. Uh, The line and where it is. 
it's the same movie. If they showed me an intricate, disgusting detail, all of like the disembowelment and shit like that, that's that's one thing. That's a big thing with the Saw movies. There was I follow this horror account that uh, posts scenes from horror movies, and there was they posted some scene from Saw, and I couldn't even get thirty seconds into it where it's like, um you know, all the torture mechanisms they have in that and whatnot. I've seen one saw movie. So, I mean, I do, but I just don't know the specifics. Yeah. Like there were pigs skin getting ripped off and all that shit. And it's just, I guess the biggest point, the difference with that is, and with the saw movies too, um, and a general thing, the horror franchise has lost sight of is explaining why we're here and giving people backstories. And, you know, I don't want to see someone I know has a kid get ripped apart I'm watching <laughs> this. And I, I don't know these people. It's just this incidental thing that I'm viewing and it's never explained to me why. And so it's this brick of period, this brick of time in my life. That's 90 minutes where I watched this story. It's like reading a fairy tale. It's like, OK, that just happened. <laughs> I, I'm never going to see these people again, and I, I don't know where they went on and what they do. I don't know where they came from or why they did, and that makes it so much more fascinating than setting the ground with, oh, this person's a mother, and uh, I told you, that's why I fucking hate the end of The Strangers, where like she puts the engagement ring on, and then you watch them die. I'm like, fuck you. Well, I mean... I, I don't remember the strangers. I mean, I remember this because you've told me before. If yeah. you hadn't brought it up, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even remember that. I just Who's remember- Scott Speedman? <laughs> That's all of Hollywood. <laughs> uh, so I, I really can't defend it, but I, I understand that there's like a story. It just depends on what your priorities are, I guess. And obviously, Toby Hooper's priority was just I'm going to scare you shitless, right? I'm going to just bludgeon you with yeah the backstory is incidental it's it's not necessary because the horror works without it i've having uh, a hard time answering your question but kind of what i was trying to say was like it affects me it it grosses me out emotionally when i understand like this person that i'm watching getting killed brutally and shit it has like this traumatic past and that you know they you know and they didn't deserve this and all that kind of stuff whereas with here, I don't know what the fuck Franklin did in his previous life. I don't know what he did yesterday. He could have kicked a hobo for all I know. <laughs> and then the biggest thing is the actual portrayal of violence. And, and, you know, a lot, there's a really bad problem of like rape and like overly sexualized violence in modern horror movies that I think is just kind of pointless and fruitless. And even with this, this movie, and I can tell it's playing a trick on your mind too. Because when I say like a bloodless film, you're like, what? For the most part, it is. But it's so intense that you walk away from it thinking it's super violent. But the actual portrayal of like disembowelment and shit like that's not there. Right. I think my my counter argument or sort of like my branch out of this point is that at least to me, when I see that old man sucking on her finger and she's screaming and the other guys are like holding her and all that stuff to me that's as disturbing if not more disturbing than what whatever saw torture i can see even if it's more graphic really so oh yeah i mean because in the end i i think it's just more and necessarily realistic but it's it's a lot easier for my mind to grasp the horror of of that versus grasping what it's like to have a metal helmet with spikes 
attached to your head and that going through. You know what I mean? Like one thing grosses me out, like the saw stunts. It's almost move. like that's actually scary versus something just being gross for the sake of being gross. Yes. <laughs> um, and, you know, Saw is maybe not like the best example because, like I said, I haven't really watched more than just one movie. Yeah, and I, uh, I know we keep making that. It, unfortunately, that franchise has defined this generation. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll tell you this about Saw, uh, and only because you they know, we, we're yeah that, but also because we're bringing it up so much that I feel bad, you know, not saying something positive about it or somewhat, you know. <laughs> It's like, it's I, like don't. I, I don't hate Saw. I can't hate it because, you know, like I said, I haven't really watched it. Uh, I will say that it, uh, I walked away from screening, I think like the third or the fourth one, you know, by the time it was over, I was like, wow, there's more story to this than I thought. And I think that as they go, they've kind of become this really convoluted mythology that I really didn't know the franchise had it in them, you know? And it was like, okay, so... So you could argue that some people might watch it not because of the not for the kills, but really because it turns out that Jigsaw has a master plan that it's slowly unveiled through like seven movies or whatever. But then he died in one, and then yeah, right. But that's when they offered my boy Donnie Wahlberg, I was at the game. Yeah, I I can't speak to how much it makes sense, but I'm saying that you know, if nothing else, I I think that uh, you could argue that Saw is not just about the kills, even though that's the most flashy aspect of it. It's also about just the convoluted storytelling that goes with it, uh, which is not something you could say about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre here. It's just, it's definitely about the kills. It's because yeah. there's not much about it, uh, but that is fine, you know, because that's, again, if Toby Hooper's intent is that, like, I really, I said roller coaster earlier, but I should have said uh, a horror house, you know, when you go to one of those scary, house. a haunted house, you know, you go through that. It's like, you're literally going to that to be scared. It's a bullet train, man. It just takes you through it, and Mm -hmm. just right, right. It ends as quickly as it began, and you're like, "What the fuck just happened?" Right. Uh, But of course, it's quite a leap to go from like a haunted house to like what happens in this movie. You know, again, you're watching like people suffering, and even if you don't have their backstories and all that stuff, you're still watching like a girl being put on a hook and just like, uh, like let's say, uh, you've seen Cannibal Holocaust. I haven't. Uh, I've seen, yeah. Like, but, but you don't I, seem I like it. taken by it. So when you're, you don't like it because it crosses this line. Well, one, they kill actual animals in it, and I'm not cool with that. I'm not a vegetarian or anything like that. But like, yeah, I threw in the towel. There's a part. Yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give that movie any unnecessary publicity. Um, yeah, and I, I mean. Being separated from it as long as I have, I can appreciate that the dude tried to make like a found footage film when those didn't exist at all and then paid the actors to stay out of the public for a year to make it seem like they really died in it. Um, I don't know. You're phrasing this and I keep coming up with all these reasons why I love Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but I can't really put into words where I find the separation. Yeah, and it's not like I can't either. That's I, I was... I was asking because obviously you have a completely different perspective than me. And I hadn't thought about it until we were watching it this time. When I watched it the first time, like I said, I was 20 years younger and I was just, all right, I get it. I get why people talk about this. I get because it's memorable because it gets a reaction. And at the time I didn't feel the need to like go any further than that. It was more, I posted on Twitter earlier. I just went, all right, I can cross this off the list. I need to watch it ever again. Uh, but today, watching it again, I just had to think about all the other things that I think about when I watch a movie now, which yeah. is like, 
why am I enjoying it? Why am I not enjoying it? Or what am I getting out of this? Why would somebody enjoy it even if I don't? And all that stuff. I, I Craft-wise, it's great. Yeah, it, and I think that's the biggest thing. These other movies we're mentioning, they're not... That's probably how I justify it in my mind, at least to a certain extent, with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, because it's a beautifully made film. These other movies we're talking about, Cannibal Holocaust. Uh, I've never seen a Serbian film and don't plan on it. Um, and saw in those movies... I could almost guarantee you those aren't really, you know, collegially made films in terms of they're not the highest form of their art and they're certainly not making the most of what they have. They're just kind of elementary. And I think uh, something else to speak for that is um, a magician's trick type thing, you know, with the Saw franchise, these other movies, they go on to the point of almost self-parody to where, and I know this is hypocritical because I gush about, you know, Friday the 13th all the time, but the magician shows his hand so many times you get used to the tricks and it's what it is. This movie keeps all the cards close to the vest. And to this day, it's still, I think that's why I fucking love watching it. It's still scary. It, you know, it's almost 50 years old and it is still scarier than almost any movie I've seen in my life. I am so thankful that it wasn't on TV when I was a little kid. Like <laughs> the scene in Terminator two where Arnold cuts his arm off and shows Dyson, the, uh, the steel skeleton yeah. fucked me up as a little kid. <laughs> I remember like watching that on TV and I, this is one of the earliest memories I actually have. And I remember running and hiding behind the couch in my parents' living room. Cause it scared me so bad. That's all to say if I had seen this shit when I was like seven or eight, it would have scarred me pretty badly. Well, you would have gotten the the TV cut. Probably the one that has uh, Leatherface looking in the mirror and going, I guess I have some healing to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's got the big bandage on his head and Edwin <laughs> Neal comes in and unwraps him. or no, it, 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 he doesn't unwrap him. They, okay. I'm, I've got this. They're in a they're in the bathroom. It's Jim Sado, Leatherface in the middle, and then Edwin Neal, and they're like shaving and doing their things. And then he takes the bandage <laughs> off and says, "I guess I still have some healing to do." Um, yeah, any movie that can genuinely scare me and not gross me out, I think that gets a thumbs up. And what you you kind of played into that hand by saying that it still is the scene where they cut her finger and the grandpa starts sucking on it. It's like. This is terrifying. It's just, it's beyond terrifying. It's just disturbing. It, it's its an image that stays with you. And again, kudos to Toby Hooper and everyone involved, because obviously that's what he was going for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a his... horror movie that doesn't disturb you, I guess it's not doing its job. But at the same time, I come out of it and I said, I'm never watching this again. There's Why would I put myself through this? Little did I know I would have a podcast and we would have this thing called The Autumn of the Remakes. Well, we wouldn't have to watch this if Toby's son, Tom, didn't garner so much notoriety years later and <laughs> win the Academy Award for Best Director. Uh, yeah, it's it's a horror movie. It's not, you know, uh, the fucker who compared it to Last House on the Left in the beginning. Fuck off. Not a damn thing scary about that movie. There was a quote I didn't pick that said something about how it was so shocking or whatever that people were missing its political statement. I didn't click on it. I don't know what sort of political statement. Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Yeah. Not sure there was. (laughs) That's what. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know. Well, there was the part where Leatherface had his vote for Ford button on. (laughs) Make chainsaws great again. (laughs) 
Yeah, it is a true horror movie in the sense of what a horror movie is supposed to be. It's not just gross out. It's not just jump scares. It's 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 just endlessly fascinating, too. And it's so funny because uh, the the duration of the franchise just devolved into what all those other slasher franchises are. And, and it's so weird. It's hard to have a conversation with people that aren't into the horror fran- uh, genre, I should say. Thank Be- you. <laughs> because uh, my thing is always, all right, well, all right, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Halloween are over here. And then everything else is over here because those are actually really well-made movies. But the rest of the, both in the Halloween and Chainsaw case, the sequels are just stupid ass slasher movies that have <laughs> dumbass one-liners, terrible acting, uh, and in one case, Matthew McConaughey. Um, but I feel it's going to let this is definitely going to lend itself to some interesting discussion with the the remake. I am very curious because I saw it also once when it came out. I saw it in theaters, um, and I don't remember much about it, so I can't tell you if my instinct. My experience tells me that because it's a more modern movie, they probably tried to inject some of the stuff that I'm saying this one doesn't have. Yeah. Right. And don't correct me yet if I'm wrong. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I just want to find out when we watch it. But I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that when we watch the remake, there will be more as far as this is what this movie is saying about the world beyond we're just going to shock you and, and scare you and disturb you. Uh, I could be wrong. And if it has something to say about the world, I'm very curious to see what it was. <laughs> I certainly don't remember. My main takeaway is Jessica Biel is really hot. Yeah, but we knew that before. Arlie Army's a good actor. <laughs> and after, also before <laughs> and after. I mean, you don't need the, a remake of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre to, to reiterate either the, of those exactly, points. Yeah. yeah. You can watch Seventh Heaven and Full Metal Jacket. Or London. London, because I actually I don't know how old she was in Seventh Heaven. Let's strike that off the record. Yeah, so the double feature now is London and Saving Silverman. <laughs> yeah, the remake, though, and I'm sure I will point this out when we get to it, heavily violates the Mattis rule. I think it clocked in at about two hours. Could have kept it a lot more tight than that. At least it wasn't in 3D. I think in closing, I've had a really hard time formulating my thoughts on this podcast because I get so excited about this movie and like I, I feel I, th- I think most of what I'm trying to say can be taken away. It's just I get really wordy when I talk about things that I like, but uh, this movie is a tornado and I love it for that. It's this, you know, it's a tornado that we didn't have. It was before we had meteorologists and forecasting it. It's this thing that just showed up shook a bunch of shit up went away and we don't really know why it, it's just <laughs> it's something that came along and uh yeah it, it didn't really do or say much about us as a society and it didn't do much to change us but um i think for the timing it, and when it came out and how dark it was for the time i think the most people disliked it and the resentment and resistance it was met with just because it showed us uh, showed people how dark people's minds can go and shit like that and they don't want to acknowledge that i guess my final question is do you feel do you feel the lag at the beginning i i didn't really but again i was taking notes and it was i was kind of like going into almost fresh 
because I didn't remember any of it. But it was, I did notice how long it was before we got to the house, mm-hmm. you know, and it's really not like there's anything of significance that happens. Pretty much all the stuff that they talk about is just setting tone. But not even, I mean, you know, they're talking about bullshit. <laughs> That's the point. That's like it's setting the tone for what they think their day is going to be. Yeah, I can see that. And what I appreciate, too, is there's no weird ass uh, gaps in time, because as soon as the first guy gets it, dominoes start falling pretty quickly, just like it would happen in a real life situation. Yeah, the kills are not spaced out no. <laughs> throughout the movie. And it's not like, you know, an hour in, Franklin was like, Sally, where's Kurt? <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. So the kills, I guess it, with this, we close the kills, right? So no. Okay. The kills are what they are. They're all pretty the, hammer to the head. Chainsaw hook hook. There's nothing, nothing fancy. No fuss. Let's talk about the acting here. <laughs> Marilyn Burns, great scream queen. Uh, cinematically speaking, my favorite part in the movie is the dinner scene where we get those extreme close-ups of her eyes and uh, just like the panning shots of the whole dinner table. Great stuff. Uh, I'm just curious uh, your thoughts on Franklin. That's really what I was trying to get to. <laughs> Trying to put a cherry on this proverbial Sunday. <laughs> took the long road to get there. Much like Franklin did. <laughs> oh, uh, you mentioned while we're watching it that in some circles, he's compared to Tina from Halloween 5. That's unfair. <laughs> I. It, it could be just that Franklin happens to be in a better movie. <laughs> uh, he never got on my nerves or felt out of place. You know, obviously he was the... I don't even want to call him the annoying person in the group because there's really not much to their personalities, mm-hmm. right? It's just, I was, if anything, and I think I mentioned Contreras Corner, he's the one that has the most distinctive personality uh, for, you know, if you want to call it that, because he has the wheelchair and he is just the, the guy that won't shut up and has a chip on his shoulder, so to speak. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, the actor, Paul. Partain. Paul Partain. He, he does all right. I don't know that you could play it better without just seeming out of place. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just he is on the level with everybody else, uh, even though he has more to do. So I, I think that's a positive. That makes it work also, I think, as a whole, because as we learned in Nightmare on Elm Street, if you have one Johnny Depp and then a bunch of schlubs, it's. <laughs> <Oof>. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't work for Paul. Uh Partain. Paul Pertain. <laughs> that's that's just a joke. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't work for Paul Pertain because obviously he did not go on to star into 21 Jump Street. Or <laughs> No, but it works for the movie because it, it makes right. everyone seem equal. Yeah. No, he's fine. He's fine. Everybody's fine. Uh, definitely Marilyn Burns stands out, but also she gets... Yeah. You know, if you... if you That was like at random, right? They had like five pieces of paper... And they're like, all right, put him in a hat, pick one. Okay, you're the one that's going to survive. Yeah. And she lucked out. It could have been any of the other four, and maybe they would have just made the same impression, right? But she definitely did it well. Yeah. Uh, I totally, fuck, that last shot of her is just horrifying. Mm-hmm. And she's laughing and crying and all that stuff. No, she's, she's great. Um, the crazy people, I mean, they just, it's like, how do you, what kind of career do you have after that? 
conventions. That's what you do after that. <laughs> Set for life. That is the Jim Conv- the Jim Caviezel thing of like, well, you've done that, so that's about it. <laughs> Never going back. Yes. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. We haven't broken ground. This is not cracking in my top five movies of all time. I think just because it is with, with Halloween, I can still take away a certain glimmer of glee. And with this, it's like, despite me being able to laugh at some of the dialogue, specifically Jim side out saying, look what your brother did to the door. It's still at the end of the day. It's a it's an intense, scary movie. So what's the grade? A A plus. A or A plus. That's at this point, you know, after oh. everything you've said, if it's not an A plus, I need to know why. Yeah. Got to go. Got to go full five. Got to go full Dave on this one. That's a that's an A plus. Um. I don't know. One star. <laughs> uh, it's not gonna be less than three. It should. It should probably be four. It should be four. Uh, but if you ask me why not that final star, all I can tell you is that because I don't feel it. <laughs> but I can't like give you the the, Which is the actual elaborate argument. You know, I'm just saying I. I admire it. I understand why it works for why it works so well for you. It just doesn't do it for me. But that's because I just don't look for that in movies. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that's a huge thing. That's video games, music, anything. If there's no replayability, rewatchability, re-listenability to it, then that's it. Can only be so good at that point, right? It doesn't mean that I'm gonna go like on a website and say it's not cinema. Yeah, you know, Jesus. Take it easy on Marty. <laughs> he was quoted out of context. They'd been at it for like two hours. He was ready to go. And then they were like, oh, by the way, what do you think of the Marvel movies? No, we talked about it off air. Anyone that would expect Martin Scorsese to say something different is the real jackass <laughs> in that situation. Uh, All right. Plugs. I talked a lot on this part, so let's go ahead and wrap this some bitch up. Uh, our usual plugs, the festive years provide our opening and closing tracks. They always kick us off with last stand to take us home with summer of 99, the festive years.com for any and all festive years needs. Our logo made by Hans Ruth Gieser. Uh, he has two podcasts. Uh, he has Nacion Combi, which is his podcast in Spanish. Uh, you can find that in any podcatcher. Uh, it's about Peruvian stuff, mostly politics. He also has a podcast called Living in Peru, which is uh, on iVox. And that's about people that migrate to Peru. Uh, and that's in English. You can also just email him at mildemonios at hotmail.com. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. Or you can contact him on Twitter uh, at mildemonios. Uh, or you can visit his website, mildemonios.pe, P-E for Peru. Uh, just talk to him if you want if you want logos, if you want comics, if you want to just talk. I don't know if he's seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> Sounds like the kind of movie that he would have a strong reaction to, but I don't know if it would be positive or negative. I'm sure he'll let us know after he listens to this episode. Yeah. Um, I remember if I told you, but he uh, messaged me again once he heard whatever latest episode where we confirmed that we're doing an episode on the original Fly. Yeah. And he was like, did I not warn you? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, just uh, hit him up for... Uh, any of that good stuff. Uh, only plug of mine, a quick one, uh, as it is the month of October. It's fitting also with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I've been getting in a lot of horror movies, watching them. We, we've been playing them at work. I thought when they said scary movies, they were just going to be playing like Hocus Pocus all month. But then I walked in and they were playing Freddy versus Jason. I was like, oh, I actually can bring some of my collection. And they had <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> <laughs> no. 
<laughs> even then they'd be like just look at me and shake their head uh and an homage to the contrarians i came into work the other day and they had uh the 92 buffy the vampire slayer on oh yeah so with pike a fish <laughs> anyway myself in my horror movie watching i watched a movie titled the vampire lovers in 1970s british exotic slash horror thriller um hell's an exotic thriller Oh, it's one of those late 60s, early 70s, just like, like lots. Like artsy sex scenes? No. Just <laughs> <laughs> lots of very attractive, buxom women in, you know, horror settings and stuff. And oh, that kind of exotic. Uh, Ingrid Pitt, who was just an absolute stallion. Uh, and then most notably in the movie is Peter Cushing. Of course, Grand Moff Tarkin from yeah, Star Wars. Rogue One. Oh, that's right. He was all CG. They brought him back from the dead. <laughs> yes, yes, they did. Vampire lovers, ninety minutes, campy, fun. Uh, towards the end, it gets kind of good. It's uh, an interesting movie. It throws you off because you just being enjoying the camp of it, and then suddenly, yeah. And it, it's I love watching old movies where they clearly just built these massive sound stages for it and like set pieces. And yeah, there's shots of that where it's like it was a simpler time. Just employ a bunch of people to paint the side of a, a big sheet of plywall or uh, plywood, I should say. Sorry, it's one o'clock in the morning. My words are starting to evade me. Anyway, vampire lovers, watch it. And. I fell asleep the other night watching Bulletproof for the first time with Damon Wayans and Adam Sandler. I'm oh, I've seen that poster. Very excited to get back to it because it was horrible. <laughs> it Watch was... the Vampire Lovers, Bulletproof, take it or leave it. Fall asleep to it. There you go. Um, I was looking through my recent movies. See, you said October, but really I think this episode is our first November episode. Uh, that typically comes after October. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, it makes sense it, within in the context. It, it's yeah. gotta make sense, uh, but yeah, it's it's still o- October as we're recording this, and yeah, I've been watching horror movies, but really, it being me, it's just like three stars. I was about to say we've established thus far that those aren't the uh, yeah the way I watch horror movies are are not the way that you watch horror movies. So I'm just watching them like in detachment, like judging them. <laughs> The entire time feeling superior, and every now and then they'll do something that I enjoy, and I'm like, ah, that's good. But that's like me watching Marvel movies. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I see common ground. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but I do get the occasional surprise, just not this time around. Not when I have something like Chernobyl to plug, ah. um, which I actually finished watching a couple of weeks ago, but it just we just haven't had the time. The opening for me to plug it. It's just five episodes, and it's great. I. You know, I didn't know much about the Chernobyl disaster other than just the very, very basics, which is Russia fucked up. And uh, this goes into detail about just the going ons and basically how it's not that they fucked up. It's that they fucked up and then they did in in an attempt to cover it up. They made it worse. Yeah. So it's it's fascinating as a, as an exploration of how like bureaucracy ends up just stabbing itself several times yeah. uh, in the chest. It was just, it's pretty fascinating. It's really well written, really well acted. Uh, and what makes it extra special is just that the showrunner, the creator of the show, writer of all five episodes is Craig Mason, also known as the writer of Hangover 2 and 3, mm-hmm. Identity Thief, movies that they're not generally... Are not good. Well, or even even if you like them, you know, he, he'll he be the first one to 
completely acknowledged they're not critically well received. Yeah. And so, but he has a podcast that's about screenwriting. And when you hear him on the podcast, you're like, this guy knows his shit. Right. And, uh, and then he gets in, uh, he gets to work with HBO and he gets to call the shots. You know, he's a showrunner. It's his show. It's not that, oh, I wrote this movie and then, you know, it went through the, the studio grinder and it came out whatever way it came out. Uh, so it was pretty cool because I guess you're getting a purer vision of what he usually does. You know, mm-hmm. and obviously he cares about the, the subject matter. So good stuff. He'll be at the Austin Film Festival. He always is. Uh, and so if I see him, I'm going to tell him, hey, man. I liked you before Chernobyl, <laughs> before it was cool. Uh, but yeah, watch Chernobyl, five episodes, an hour each. Really, really good stuff. And as uh, we've been plugging, and we will plug up until December, the Other Worlds Film Festival taking place in Austin. All information you can need for that we'll have in the links below. Be sure to click on that, visit that. Otherworldsfilmfest.com, December 5th through 8th. Boom. Boom. You can, if you go, you can't just, you can talk to me, you can talk to Alex, or you can talk to Reed, yes. who has opinions about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I'm sure. Oh, yes. And Nightmare on Elm Street. Very different opinions. He does have differing ours. opinions on Nightmare <laughs> on Elm Street. He and I are in the same boat with uh, Chainsaw, but here nor there. Go to it. If you're in Austin or the surrounding area, be sure you check it out. It's a good time. It's at the newly renovated Galaxy Theater here in Highland. Oh, I haven't been there since it got renovated. Me neither. Looking forward to it. It used to be a shithole, so (laughs) we'll see. Uh, I don't know. I've been there a few times. No, it was fine. I like their wings. All right. That concludes part one of our two-parter, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Toby Hooper gave us Gunnar Hansen, Paul Partain. Marcus Dispel's got a little ditty in mind called Jessica Beale. So do you know, do you even like off the top of your head, can you remember the name of the guy that plays uh, Leatherface in the remake? Andrew Bryanarski. Impressed. Zang- Impressed. Zangief. Oh, fuck. We've talked about this. <laughs> I know the counterpart to Jessica Bill, her boyfriend, and it was he was supposed to be in some hot HBO or Showtime show at the time. Uh, one of the guys, I don't know if it's her boyfriend, one of the guys is uh, from 24. He was also six feet under. We might be talking about the same guy. It's possible. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Arlie Ermy making his contrarian's debut. Maybe. We'll know officially at that point, but <laughs> any and all, Arlie Ermey's welcome. That will do it for this episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. That summer-